and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Policy, 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 policy. It's a favorite word for me to use. Um, we're going to talk about the president's policy as his budget is out there, and it is huge to steal a word from the former president. And... Um, I want you to hear the president talk about this. I want to get to gas prices specifically in this segment because gas prices are back on the rise here in the Valley. And I think this is going to hurt families more than a little. This is going to be a big deal in a few weeks, in a few days, I would even say. But I want you to hear the president talk about working together when it comes to the budget. Instead of making threats about default, which would be catastrophic, let's take that off the table. Let's, as I said in the beginning, let's have a conversation about how to grow the economy, lower costs and reduce the deficit. The issue is this. If you've ever gone to buy a car somewhere and had a horrible experience, and I can tell you about a couple of experiences I've had in my life that were not fun. And I won't use names because I don't want to – I mean I just I just think it's a poor taste. But uh, I went to a car dealership once uh, with my ex-wife, and we were going to look to buy a new car. And we were driving our existing car, and they asked us if we wanted to trade it in. And we were saying we aren't going to trade it in um, because we're going to sell it. We're not going to trade it in. And they about five or six times pushed us to trade in this car. And finally, we said, not interested. Um, let us get out of here. Well, they had taken our driver's license, and all of a sudden, they couldn't find our driver's licenses. And I, finally, I said to them, you got 30 seconds to get me my driver's license, or I'm calling the cops. This is, and I was, it was getting angry. And they finally let me go from this car dealership. But I want to use this analogy. Have you ever been somewhere where the, somebody says, hey, this is, let's say this vehicle is $28,000. It's a used vehicle. And you say, I just looked up this vehicle online and it says it's only worth about $23,000. All right, I'll take twenty five for it. And you're like, you're still way over what it's valued at. You say, I just came off $3,000. I've just lowered my price $3,000. Work with me here. Well, you started so outrageously high, it's ridiculous to even say that. This is my problem with what's happening here. The tax increases that are here, which I complained about earlier in the show. We've got tax increases that at a time when the U.S. Treasury is taking in more money than it ever has. Now, they say that it's okay to do it. They'll even go as far as to say it's a good thing to do it because it taxes rich people. They have enough rich people money. They have enough poor people money. They have enough middle class people money. They have more money than they've ever taken in before. At what point, and this is my plea to Republican leadership, at what point do you stop yelling Democrat, Democrat, Democrat and start talking to the American people and saying all of us, even the Democrats, the voters in this country should be holding the administration accountable for the dollars they already have before we agree to give them more dollars. I think it's a message Americans would listen to because right now all we hear is Democrats are horrible, Republicans are horrible. If this person gets elected, we're never going to get our country back. If we elect this political party, our country is going down the toilet. And instead of talking to the American people, which our great communicators have done, you look at how Ronald Reagan spoke to America. Shining City on the Hill, Last Best Hope, all the things he said to Americans, won 49 states for re-election. Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. He talked to Americans. Whether I agreed with his political stances or not, the guy was a, a hell of a communicator. Barack Obama was able to communicate with the American people with hope and change, and he 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 moved he had a movement that went on. Now again, I didn't agree with him either in his policies when he was president. But 
the communication skills are what won him the office and kept him in the office for two terms. He was able to communicate effectively with the American people of what his vision was and how he was going to get there. And it wasn't always, although they did it often, because partisan politics dictates that you smash your opposition in the political party. You have to ultimately talk to American people. And I just don't think there's enough of that. Uh, Arizona gas prices rising faster than other parts of the U.S. Here's what's happening. It's a story in the Arizona Republic. Anyone who's filled their gas tank understands last week the state average price rose 10 cents from the prior week, more than any other state. The increase this week is even steeper at 17 cents so far. The state average for a gallon of regular fuel was $3.80 Wednesday. That is an average that includes $3.42 or so for what people are paying in Tucson and an eye-popping $4.09 for the average Scottsdale driver. Everywhere in Metro Phoenix is averaging more than $4 per gallon or close to $65 for a 16-gallon fill-up. Um, this is a tax, whether they call it that or not, but Amer- the American people are taxed by this. And it is a tax they have to pay. And when you raise people's fuel bills this much, this this is immensely damaging to American families. And if you haven't been there... I'm happy for you. But if you've been there and you're not, I'm also happy for you. But you can remember this. When every – you budget by necessity. There are some people that budget very well because they're disciplined people. But there are other people that budget by necessity, meaning I have to watch – and account for every dollar I spend in my own mind. Every dollar I spend has to go to something important because I'm going to run out of dollars. When you throw higher gas prices at them, they don't have many places to take from. It's usually necessities. It's food, whatever else you can think of. And it's crippling. And I'm talking about the individuals that are listening right now. But if and if you're listening now and you work for someone else and you're in a work vehicle, whether it's a work truck or you're in sales or whatever it is where somebody else is paying for the gas in that vehicle because it's their company. Here is the problem. Think of these small businesses and what this does directly to their profitability. The cost of labor has gone up immensely. The cost of supplies have gone up immensely. That's what this inflation is doing to people. Now here in the Valley, you're piling on top of that even higher gas prices. The president of the United States is still um, – they're still balking at, at drilling. There's another organization that's come out and said you've got to approve this dr- drilling program, and the environmentalists are pushing against it. Um, the president wants to get rid of subsidies for the oil companies. Fine. Get rid of subsidies for the oil companies, but what is it going to do to the expense? This is, these are talking points without dealing with the reality of how things happen. You've got a president of the United States that's saying these oil companies have so much money. Why are we giving them more? And the American public is saying, you know what? You're right. If they're making that many billions of dollars, why are we giving tax dollars to them? So now I'm going to ask that question I started with. If the United States Treasury – and fact check me on this – if the United States Treasury is taking in record revenue, why are we giving them more? Don't care if it's some rich people. The budget – I'm sorry, the oil companies, they're rich. We got to stop giving them money. They're rich. Well, here you go. These are rich people. Why are we hammering them? Why does it matter? All the money into the United States Treasury. You know, record revenue, record revenue. 
It's about what's good for the nation. It's not about this class warfare nonsense, which I think is a tired argument. And what frustrates me about my political party is we don't defeat it. If you want to say the Republican Party is the party of the rich, I'd embrace it. If I and I'm going to be very honest with you, I'm not some. I'm not. I don't think anyway that I am. I don't think that I'm someone that's in your face. Like, hey, look at me. I hope I'm not. If I am, I, I don't. I want to be self aware, but I'm not someone that's going to go out and flaunt wealth. I'm not that kind of person. But if I became supremely wealthy, if I became someone that I knew I was wealthy, I'd embrace it. I would embrace it. I would defend it. I would show people the good that can be done with wealth and the bad that's done when the government confiscates wealth from anyone. I think wealthy people got to stand up and talk about their benevolence and in humility, but they've got to stand up and defend who they are and what they do with the wealth and the power they've accumulated. Who do you feel more com- comfortable with wealth and power, an individual or a corporation or the government? And I'll, I'll choose private industry anytime. Anytime. All right. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to jump into uh, we'll go back to the election because now a former Trump attorney has pled guilty to uh, having or I should say admits to misrepresenting the stolen election over 10 times. What is this going to do to the stolen election conversation? All that's coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate the time as always. Um, it seems as if more and more people are coming out and talking about the election and whether or not the 2020, forget 2022, the 2020 election was stolen from President Trump. A former attorney that worked for President Trump was not lead counsel in any case, but someone that worked for President Trump um, named Jenna Ellis, a lawyer, uh, admitted in court that she made various misrepresentations on social media and major television appearances about the 2020 election, leading a judge to issue a public censure on Wednesday. Now, this negotiation, Ellis said, listen, I'm glad to be out of this. Um, You know, I didn't lose my license. I'm still in good standing, which, again, let's be clear. If this had been for the people out there that are outraged by this election denial and what it did to America and was you're going way too far. Um, You know, I will I, I just and I'm not talking about January 6th, completely different conversation. I'm talking about people out there in our society that believe that the election was stolen. This is a conversation that's gotten way out of hand. Hillary Clinton, less than six months ago, put out a video saying that the Republicans are trying to steal 2024. She's as much an election denier as anybody is. She denied 2016. She wrote the book. What happened? And so I think at some point, everybody's got to take a deep breath on this issue. You've got an attorney that worked for Trump. That said, I misrepresented some of the things. The parties agreed that uh, the respondent, through her conduct, undermined the American public's confidence in the presidential election, violating her duty of candor to the public. Um, the, misrepre- the misrepresentations included a number of false claims, including Ellis suggesting the election was stolen during multiple television appearances and that Trump actually won in a landslide. 
All of the stipulated statements took place between November 13th and December 22nd of 2020. The list includes misrepresentation promoted during the appearances on Fox News, Justice with Judge Janine, MSNBC's The Ari Melber Show, Newsmax, and Greg Kelly's report, um, as well as the Fox Business Morning with Maria. So she said they ultimately failed to destroy me and they failed in their attempt to deprive me of my bar license. I'm glad to have this behind me and remain in good standing with the state of Colorado. Uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy vows to release the January 6th surveillance footage to the public. I'm glad he's doing that. I would like to put my own eyes on all of this instead of speculation by one side or the other. Um, I will tell you that the January 6th committee, in my mind, was as um, one-sided as the audit was. And it's another thing that this should have been something that was handled differently. The partisan politics in America is horrible. I'm not defending January 6th. You've heard my stance on it. I'm just saying that as a country, we have to start moving forward in some ways. And what that's going to take is for people on both sides to take a step forward and say, all right, it's time to calm down and move forward. You may still believe the 2020 election was stolen. You're never going to prove it. And if you could prove it, it's never going to change anything. So why would you base your entire political future and how you vote and who you vote for based on something that couldn't be changed if it was proven and it could never be proven? At some point, you have to move forward. I mentioned I've used this as an analogy when I talk about this topic all the time. Um a few years ago, I believe it was the New Orleans Saints and the Rams that were playing in, an, in, a, in a game to see who went to the Super Bowl. And there was a play that was not called. There was an, a pass interference penalty that was not called that was so blatantly obvious. People were outraged for days, and it literally cost the Saints an opportunity at going to the Super Bowl. This was that kind of a game-changing play. And there was outrage. They should play in protest. There's nothing and there's no mechanism to change it. The officials admit that they missed it. Missed it. The league admitted that they missed it. Everybody admitted that it was the wrong call. But now imagine if somebody said it was done on purpose, that that referee was corrupt. And now you've got a group of people that believe, a large group of people that believe, and let's say the leadership and ownership and coaches from the New Orleans Saints weren't out there saying this was done intentionally against us. This was an intentional act to make sure we didn't get to the Super Bowl. Imagine if that were the case, what that would do to the NFL, to the credibility of the NFL, and all the things involved in the NFL. And that's what's going on with the idea of a stolen election. And I just want to see this country heal and move forward. And I'm saying this selfishly from on my party's behalf, on behalf of the Republican Party. There is so much out there that you are winning on. You are winning right now when it comes to gas prices. You're winning right now because of inflation. You're winning right now in the border conversation. The Biden administration is changing some of its policies. You're winning with policing. Even the president of the United States is telling other Democrats in his party that you've got to be tougher on crime. We're watching leadership that is in charge of prosecuting crimes, losing their jobs. Lori Lightfoot just lost her election in Chicago because she's not tough on crime. You're winning, you're winning, you're winning, you're winning, and you're shooting yourself in the foot Continuing to deny what happened in 2020 or 2022. And if we don't stop, there's going to be problems on top of the fact that now if you look closely enough, you have to admit that a lot of these people are coming forward now and saying, yeah, what I said, I shouldn't have said. And then 
move on from there. At least I hope we can move on from there. We'll see. Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about guns. I talked about this earlier, age restrictions in Florida and whether it's worthwhile. But I would say to you that when it comes to crime, there's bigger issues. And the firearm focus is part of the problem, not part of the, not part of the solution. So I'll give you my examples next. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with me. Um, it is interesting. Um, I want you to hear the DC police chief. I'm going to start here. I did this the other day, and I want you to hear this again. This is the DC police chief um, voicing his frustration of why we're not keeping why we're not keeping crime rates down in major cities. Now, remember, this is a police chief in Washington D.C. What we got to do if we really want to see homicides go down is keep bad guys with guns in jail because when they're in jail, they can't be in community shooting people. So when people People talk about what we're going to do different or what we should do different, what we need to do different. That's the thing that we need to do different. We need to keep violent people in jail. Right now, the average homicide suspect, the average homicide suspect has been arrested 11 times prior to them committing a homicide. That is a problem. That is a problem. So the story that I led with earlier on this topic is that in Florida, they've upheld a law. A federal appellate court has held up a law that restricts the age of when you can buy a gun in Florida at 21 years old. <clears throat> and I talked about my girls learning how to shoot when they were younger and then when they went out on their own and, and my oldest especially um, – Looking to get out on her own and, you know, what, and they were working and they were working at night like a lot of kids do in restaurants and, you know, jobs that required them to be coming home late. Um, they weren't allowed to carry guns and handguns anyway until they were 21. But, you know, I would think as well, and I say as well trained, as often as they went out shooting, we had, a, I had a friend, uh, who is a, a police officer and he would take us out shooting and talk to the girls about safety because he did it with his kids and, and so, um, there was instruction. There was respect for firearms. There was discipline. There was all of those things so that my kids, the first time they ever heard or felt a gun go off, wasn't when they were accidentally discharging that firearm, whether somebody else got hurt or not. So I understand the fear of a child being exposed to a gun. But when you take a young adult, someone that's on their own for the first time, and I don't know how you feel as a parent, but for me – Thinking that, you know, I would want my children to be able to defend their apartment if they had roommates or to be able to defend themselves if somebody tried to carjack them. But the ability – so I have a different opinion on what Florida is doing, although Florida as a state has a right to do whatever they want. I'm a big state's rights advocate, and I would imagine that law may be challenged at the state level, but now the courts are saying that it's legal to do it, to restrict this age. But when you listen to this police chief speak, the frustration comes from the fact that we cater to the perpetrators and not the victims. When the average homicide suspect is arrested 11 times before they're arrested for homicide – that is something that all of us should stand up and take notice of. How does anyone, how does anyone get arrested, convicted, whatever, of a crime or crimes 11 times, especially if they're violent multiple times, and not spend an extended time in prison? 
it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Their story headline says teens are stealing more cars and they're learning how on social media. This is another part of the tricks that happen with young people. Young people are smart. We don't give kids enough credit for their intelligence. Young people are smarter than we give them credit for. They are capable of learning many more things than we give them credit for. And I'll give you good examples. When you look at kids in video games, my nephew is a is an expert. My, my, he's a great athlete. He's a great student. But you didn't have to teach that kid video games. He worked on it and he learned himself, and he's a brilliant kid at it. He's great at playing the, playing video games. Um, when kids want to learn something, when you take a kid that has thrilled with music, how many of us have seen high school kids that we know that you cannot believe what great guitar players they are? I had some friends that are drummers when we were kids um, because when they find something they love, you man, you see the talent, the dedication, and the discipline come out. Um What's happening with a lot of these young people is they're getting that euphoria from crime, and they also aren't getting punished. That's the part of it that young people are smart about, that they learn very quickly. The drug dealers, the gangs have been doing this for years and years and years when they are bringing younger and younger kids into their ranks. And they're doing it because a 21, a 22, a 23-year-old street drug dealer understands if they get caught holding a bunch of drugs that are packaged for sale, they're getting booked on a felony count and they're going to go to prison. But if a 13-year-old kid is the one that's taking these drugs from one place to another, if that kid gets caught with it, that kid's going to get arrested five or six times before he ever sees any kind of punishment. Same with car thieves. When kids steal a car and they joyride, it's mischief. Well, not when they're doing it in these organized ways. There's everybody, every town, I think, has some form of the GTA club or the Grand Theft Auto club where it's high school kids that realize they can run amok because they're not going to be punished. They know how to play the system. Another level of this, I heard this from people in policing that a young man was arrested for being a human trafficker. He was uh, recruited by the cartels that he would be told there is a vehicle waiting for you here. The keys are under this seat. You're going to have four or five people in the car with you and you're going to drive them from the border to this specific place up in Phoenix or somewhere else in Arizona. You're going to drop them in the car off and you're going to be paid sometimes a thousand bucks a person in the car. And it was the money that attracted him, but this young person had finally been arrested and turned over to uh, CBP or ICE, to, you know, federal agents. And that police agency was called a few hours later, and they said, "Listen, we've, we're not going to we're not going to process this kid for criminal investigation. You got to come back and get him." And the police had to go get him and then take him all the way down to the border town where he was from, not where he was arrested, and deliver him or wait until his parents or a relative came and picked him up. What I'm saying about that story is this kid said he had been arrested four other times and never went through the system. There's no arrest record because he was never processed, never mind tried and convicted. He was never processed in those arrests. This kid knows I can make a thousand bucks a person I drive, and even when I get caught, I'm not going to be punished. We're doing that all over the country. 
with adults, too. There are crimes out there that are being committed by people, and they know that the DA or the county attorney, whatever title they have in the town they live in, says, even in D.C., that crime bill that did not pass, they pulled it because the president was going to veto it, but the D.C. crime bill was going to basically decriminalize carjacking, meaning, A, you're probably not going to get caught. But when you get caught, they're reducing the penalty for a violent crime like a carjacking. So when I say to you that we are focused on the criminals and not on the victims, this is a prime example. What about that criminal's life? What about their tough upbringing? What about the fact that most of them come from poor single-parent homes? What about what about the person that was in their car that just got terrorized? What about the person that doesn't want to go outside of their home again, is afraid to go to work, can't sleep at night, waking up with night terrors, has to go to counseling, PTSD? What about them? Don't they have a right to feel that if some Somebody does that to them, they're going to be severely punished. We have lost that in this country. So we can talk all day long about how good it is that you've reduced the qualifying or raised the qualifying age to purchase a firearm and it makes town safer. I will tell you, you are barking up the wrong tree. We need people that are making arrests and we need prosecutors that are punishing crime, period. There was a very emotional school board meeting, the Washington Elementary School District. I talked a little about it earlier. I want you to hear more information for what this was about and what people are upset about. And I've been talking about it on social media. I'll give you an update on that as well coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, take a, they always say, take a deep breath, take a cleansing breath, catch your breath here. Um, I want to talk about education. It's a frequent topic. They had the board meeting yesterday at the Washington Elementary School District. What outrages me about this is when people take the moral high ground and they are showing their own hypocrisy and being everything they hate. And that's what happened last night. Um, let me explain. Um, The Washington Elementary School District had an ongoing contract with Arizona Christian University for five years that student teachers, or I say students that are in the education program at ACU, were in the classroom getting classroom experience in the Washington Elementary School District. Kids, elementary school. And they've been going on for five years. There are no reports of anybody from ACU addressing sexuality. There are no reports of the students or the faculty denouncing anybody at Washington Elementary School District. None of that's ever been reported. They didn't say we're having complaints from students. We've had complaints from teachers because of things these students are preaching in our classrooms. It's never been done. But they figured out. They went on to ACU's website, and on ACU's website, they take a pledge that they believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, that they don't believe in gay marriage. Well, that did not sit well with the school board, so they canceled the contract. That's where this started. What's fascinating about all of this is that there was no problem. And I would venture to say most of the people on the school board had no idea that this was an issue until somebody brought it up. And now they're saying, you know, they have a right to believe whatever they want, but we're inclusive. No, you're excluded. You're excluding people. Arizona Christian University never, ever went to WESD and said, 
Oh, we noticed that you are an LGBTQ plus encouraging positive school. Do you have policies that encourage this and are kind to it and you think it's the right thing? We're out. We're not sending our students into your school district with you sinners. They never said that. Never. No matter what they believe, no matter what their belief is, they didn't cancel the school district. The school district canceled them. And yet the school district is saying they did it in the name of inclusivity. Does anybody else not see the idiocy in that? I sure do. Secondly, the entire state of Arizona, on both sides of the political aisle and conversations about school choice and about school funding and about policies in schools, both sides are lamenting the fact that we have an immense teacher shortage in the state of Arizona. Here are young people committed to being educators. They also are at a school that has a very high academic standard. And now they're being shunned by a school district that is suffering shortages as well. So extrapolate this out. And I want you to think about this as an everyday citizen. This school district won't let student teachers in the classroom from ACU. Will they let graduates from ACU be teachers in their school district? Should they be allowed to exclude them? Even if they're allowed to, is it a wise thing to do? Think of the flip side of this. And I asked somebody this on Twitter. What if it was the other way around? What if, um, you know, somebody from ACU, an ACU graduate, works their way up in, in education and they become a superintendent or they all run for a school board? And let's say there's a school board that says, you know what? We believe in traditional values here. So we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And now I'm with an elementary school district in the West Valley. So here's what we are going to do. We are going to say to anybody here that is LGBTQ plus or is sympathetic to their beliefs, you're out. We're going to break our agreement with Arizona State University and the education students there or other school districts that believe that LGBTQ plus policy should be implemented in schools. Whether they have any power, whether they've ever talked about it, if you believe that, you're out. You'd be outraged. And you would say, we got a teacher shortage. What are you doing? Now, the last thing about this that to me is even more frightening is that it's an elementary school. It's elementary school. We're talking about kids where sexuality should never even be a part of the curriculum. Never even be a part of the curriculum. Again, I want you to think of another adult in your life, another adult in any aspect of your life, personally or professionally, that talks to your kids about sexuality where you're comfortable with it. If you're a parent, what about your parents? If they start spouting off their beliefs on sex and they start talking to your kids about it. If your siblings, which is their, your kids' aunts or uncles, uh, your neighbor down the street, your kid's best friend's mom or dad. 
And it's something that's unacceptable, except they put the label educator on it. And now all of a sudden they are the authority and they should be able to talk about any topic they want. We're talking about elementary school. Kids can't read. They can't perform math skills. We're talking about third grade and eighth grade. That is elementary school. These kids are not able to move on and do things successfully because they don't know the basics. And we have a teacher shortage. And we're talking about LGBTQ plus things in an elementary school. This is nothing about school kids. This is everything about the school board and their board members. So I'm going to end this the same way I ended it the last time. If you live in the Washington Elementary School District, you have the school board you deserve because you voted for them. So if you don't like what's happening, if you don't think this has a place in an elementary school district, vote for different people. Run different candidates. But if you agree that this is the way it should be, keep electing the same people. That's your choice. That's everybody's choice. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, the latest on the kidnapping in Mexico. We'll talk about it next.